Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. I'm here today with one of my favorite people talking about one of my favorite topics and a great new book about it, Read to Lead. And we are here with Jeff Brown, who is a friend who has a passion for reading, has a passion for leadership, has a passion for success and principles and books and speakers and writers and all things great. And he's interviewed lots of people from Liz Wiseman to Brian Tracy to even Skip Pritchard on the Read to Lead podcast, which is an award-winning, fabulous podcast if you haven't heard it. And we just share a passion for so many of these subjects. So I was excited to have him on Aim Higher and also to read this new book, which is full of great information and full of all of the things that many of you are passionate about as well. So Jeff, welcome to Aim Higher. Well, thanks for having me here, Skip. I consider this a a real treat, so I appreciate it. I was just talking to you before we started about the flip. So you were a radio personality and producer for... I won't say how many years (laughs) before launching your own business, your own podcast, Read to Lead. And so you had been interviewing people before or being interviewed now. And so it's, it's always changing hats. And I think it's an interesting role reversal each time you have to do that. But uh, hopefully you've been enjoying that process. I have. I've been enjoying it a great deal. I mean, who doesn't like to talk about themselves? Uh, This is a chance for me to do that a little bit. I don't get to do that very often on my own show. So uh, yeah, I like the role reversal. It's temporary. Yeah, I'm still doing my own show, and, and there will be a, a point where you know, I'm not talking about the book as much, but uh, I'm enjoying it while it lasts. Well, the first question I have for you, since you're talking about yourself and, and this read to lead, is, <laughs> Jeff, what took so long? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, because I've been asked for years, hey, Jeff, when are you going to write a book? I didn't want to jump the gun too early. Some may argue uh, I waited a little long, but I wanted to make sure I had something to say. And about six years into my own podcast journey, you know, a couple of years ago, I kind of felt finally I was at a place where I had something to say. I'd been doing this podcast long enough and had built a reputation for being an evangelist for consistent and intentional reading everywhere and had sort of earned my stripes. And it was time to, uh, to begin that process of of writing a book. Now that took two years, obviously, because here we are, you know, about eight years into my podcast. But yeah, I, I wanted to make sure I had earned my stripes and I had something to write about and could come at it from a place of someone who has been at their craft for a little while. Uh, and so hashtag never too old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Totally with you. I support that one hundred percent. Well, I've always been a huge reader my whole life. So never a year goes by that I'm not reading something, all different types of books, fiction, nonfiction, et cetera. But you've kind of had a different path. You said in there that you had some periods of time, maybe a whole decade in your 20s, where you weren't perhaps reading as much. What made you shift to realize that kind of power of reading in your own life? Yeah, uh, it's embarrassing to admit, but until I was in my early 30s, Skip, I was just not aware that there were books out there written by people much smarter than me on topics I was truly passionate about. Prior to that, school, for lack of a better way of putting it, had educated out of me the desire to read, the desire to learn. And that's not a knock on teachers. 
some of my teachers were had some of the biggest impact on my life and my sister's a teacher. I love teachers. That's not a knock on teachers as much as it is the education system. Right. And so when I got out of school, I was like, well, thank goodness I don't have to learn anymore. Thank goodness that phase of life is done. Right. How naive is that? Well, uh, I found myself with a leader in my early thirties that became a mentor for me. And he himself appreciated the value uh, that he derived from books and he allowed himself to be caught, I like to say, reading. And I used to think when I would first catch him reading that it was really catching him doing something he shouldn't be doing. He's goofing off. What's he, he's reading a book. He's not working. That was my attitude. And he helped me realize that, well, no, that's not what he was doing. I, I think I even joked about it one time. And he said, well, no, I'm actually learning about this particular discipline or skill. And here's what I've learned about it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he would eventually go on to start a book club in the office. I would join that book club. It was a voluntary thing, but based on some of the conversations we had, I, I decided to participate. And the first book I was exposed to was Seth Godin's Purple Cow back in about 2003. And I ate it up. I, you know, I was trying to wrap my head around marketing and venturing into that space for really the first time in my career from having spent a lot of time on the air and being a personality to doing some work behind the scenes. And I just started eating up books about you know, social media, which would come on strong three or four years later, and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all that. And how is that going to impact our industry? And what I found in very short order was as I began to experiment with what I was reading and, and experiment with what I was learning, some things failed, some things succeeded. The things that failed tended to get forgotten pretty quickly. The things that I did that were catching on that were succeeding got me noticed. And so before long, I found myself being asked by the powers that be, hey, we need you to speak to this faction within the company about what you've learned. Or then later, we need you to speak to this faction over here within the company, your nationwide company, about what you've learned. That then prompted me to go, hmm, I probably need to know more about public speaking. Let me read up on that. And so I began reading public speaking books. Long story short, this would turn into the president of our company eventually deciding, I'm going to visit stations across the country and get input, as a great leader does, as to what we should be focused on the next 10 years. What's my 10-year vision for 2010 to 2020? And when he made that announcement, my boss, my leader, who introduced me to books many years before, came to me and said, Jeff, when the president comes, I want you to be the guy to make our presentation. That came in part as a result of the skills I was exercising, having read about being a better presenter and creating slides and structuring a talk and all that. But when I did, the president was so impressed by it that he had me come to the home office in Colorado Springs, I'm in Nashville, to give that same presentation to the executive team. That would later inform his 10-year vision. And he would come to me and say, Jeff, I'm now going to be communicating this vision to the world. I want you to be the one to create my presentation that I'm going to give to the world. And so every bit of that, that entire journey and the promotions that came along with it over the years came down to one thing. I was a consistent and intentional reader. And by the way, I was one of the few that was doing, it was, wasn't hard. What I was doing was not difficult, but I was one of the few doing it. And it led to so many exciting opportunities. Well, I just want to unpack that for people listening just a little bit more, because often I think people think that if you get into reading, you read the few books and then, wow, look what's happened. But what you just said has a profound step, I think, that's so important. You didn't just read and take it in and have theory. You immediately were putting it into practice. 
you had to create the presentations or you had to speak. And so I think that practical application of what you just read really was extraordinarily important. I know some people who read to become experts, say, on presentations, but they never actually create one. And it is different when you actually do it than if you're just reading about it. So a good starting point is the reading, that information you're getting in, but you really did something about it. I'd love to link those two words because the book and your podcast, Read to Lead, it's not inevitable, right? How is reading linked to leadership and how do you go from reading to leading? Great question. Yeah, one of our past presidents, I don't remember which one, who said uh, all leaders are readers, but not all readers are leaders. I think that's how it went. But to me, that very thing we were just talking about is how you link it. It's admitting, first of all, that you don't have all the answers, and it's not being afraid to go seek those. Uh, any problem you've ever faced, pretty good chance somebody else has already solved that problem. And the other part of that equation is oftentimes they've written about how they solved that problem in a book. And so whatever problem you're facing, my recommendation is the first thing you do as a leader is find a book or a series of books on that problem written by others who have faced it before you and begin that experimentation process. To me, leadership is not about, I'm in the position of leader because I have all the answers and I just need you to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> leadership is surrounding yourself with people smarter than you and leveraging the collective brain power in the room as well as those not in the room, i.e. authors who have written books about the problems you're trying to solve. Well said, and I think often just learning to ask the right questions, uh, which admits that you don't have the answers, but you are curious. I think reading gives you that curiosity, right? The more you read, the more curious you become to expand your thinking. You know, lifelong learning is, is a subject of this book, and becoming a passionate reader, I think, convinces people along the way, or you're convinced, I don't know which is first, that this lifelong learning is a gift. It's such an experience. How do you awaken that in people, right? So go back and talk to the Jeff of your 20s. How do you awaken that up to say, you know, this is really important. You know, reading can change your life. I'm a member of the Speaker's Roundtable, and Charlie Tremendous Jones was a former member, an incredible, incredible man and leader and speaker. And he said, you're going to be the same person you are today as you will be in five years, but for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. People you meet and the books you read. He would say it over and over and over. And there are many people who don't sense that. So talk to the Jeff of your 20s. How do you how do you get it through someone's head? This is amazing. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. What do you say to that person? Yeah, I was just talking with our mutual friend, Dan Miller, yesterday, and a member of his tribe has a son who he's trying to get to read, and that son just is not interested in reading, and it's very frustrating for the father. And in a conversation with Seth Godin about this very book, he offered a couple of pieces of advice, things we hadn't tackled in the book yet that he was recommending that we consider. And I want to point out two of the things he said. And, and one of those is, and to your point, people don't want to learn. So a book like this or reading in general can sometimes be a hard sell. People don't want to learn. Learning requires acknowledging, albeit briefly, that you don't know something, right, which we're taught to avoid. Uh, and so it's easier to not learn and just, and just get back to work, right? And the other thing is people don't want to change their minds. If a book is going to help you get somewhere you, you're unable to get to on your own, 
that means you're going to have to change your mind about something. And so we resist that. But I like what John Maxwell says about things that make us uncomfortable or things that require discipline or sacrifice. There's pain involved with learning, with admitting you don't know something. And that's why we try to avoid it, right? We don't want to experience the pain that comes with sacrifice and growth and those sorts of things. But when we avoid that pain today, we trade it for another pain. And this is what I would say to the person who's slow to come to reading. And that pain you're trading it for is regret, because that's what you're going to have later. So my advice to you is pick your pain. <laughs> Do you want the pain uh, that comes now from sacrifice and discipline and growth and learning and mind changing? Or do you want the pain of regret later that comes with, gee, I wish I'd done that a year ago? So, so that, if that doesn't put a fire under your rear end, I don't know, I don't know what does. <laughs> so good. Jim Rohn always used to say, we're going to face one of two pains, either the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. It is an incredible lesson. But people do have excuses, Jeff. We all have excuses. I think it may be part of the human condition. Maybe it's sort of that ability for us to cope because we can't get to everything, so we have excuses. I, I'm not doing this because. I have an excuse I just shared with you before we started. Why well, I haven't written another book yet. So there's always excuses, right? Excuse why we're not exercising or excuse why the diet can wait or excuse why we're not reading. You have done some research and share some information in here about some of the excuses. I'm curious about some of the most common excuses you hear from people and that you've researched about, I can't read because. Well, the biggest one, by far the most common one that I come across is time. People often ask me, Jeff, how do you find the time to read as much as you do? Or probably a more common way that's asked is, how do I get to a point where I can read on a consistent and on a regular basis? Maybe not 52 books a year, 100 books a year, maybe even just a book a month. And one of the first questions I'll ask in response to that, sort of nonchalantly, is, hey, before we get into that, tell me about some of your favorite TV shows. And when they get to about show three or four, a light bulb goes off and they go, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, you know, in jest. But, but they realize that, well, I have time. I just haven't made reading a priority. And that's the point. For anything in my life, and I know you appreciate this gift, for anything that I consider important, I've scheduled it more than likely. So that includes for me scheduling time to read. If I don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. Michael Hyatt says, what gets scheduled gets done, right? I've taken that to heart. So that means that every morning I've got at least 30 minutes set aside to read before I start my day. Then other days throughout the week, I have scheduled times to read depending on the day of the week. You know, I have an ideal week that I start with, and do I achieve that ideal every single time? More often than not, I don't, but unless I've identified what the ideal looks like, I'm not going to get anywhere close. And so for me, the ideal includes setting aside time to read. And unless you're willing to do that, I think you're, you're telling yourself it's not yet important enough to you. Otherwise, you would be not only scheduling time, but then once I schedule something like reading time, for me, I'm talking about scheduling just like I would any other appointment or meeting. In other words, it's protected, right? So if someone comes to me and asks for my time and I look at my schedule and I see, oh, I've got time set aside to read, I have a choice to make. I can acquiesce and decide, oh, I'm not going to read. I'm going to do that later and say yes to the request. 
Or I can look at that on my calendar and go back to them and say, you know what, I've got another appointment during that time. Can we do this at another time? Can we meet at another time? Uh, because I think an appointment with yourself, especially for things like this, are just as important as if they were an appointment with someone else, right? And I think they need to be treated that way. A friend of mine talks about, and I'll finish with this, Garland Vance in a book called Getting Unbusy. And we talk a little bit about Garland in this book, in the book Read to Lead. And I love how he frames this. We often default to yes when other requests for our time come at us. And there are certainly plenty of things that we should say yes to and, and requests that come for help and things of that nature that we'll want to say yes to along the way. But our default is often yes. And if we say no, we feel like we have to defend that no to the other person rather than just letting it be a complete sentence. Instead, we need to default to no. And if we're going to say yes, then we need to be able to defend that yes to ourselves. And if we'll approach requests that way, I think we'll get a better handle on our schedule. We'll start living our life the way that uh, we want to live it to reach our own goals and our own dreams versus the life everybody else is telling us to live. Now, again, there are requests that come that you don't want to shut everybody else out of your life. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that. There are perfectly legitimate requests that come that you'll want to say yes to and sacrifice things you had originally planned. But we've made the default yes when the default should be no. I love that. And we featured Garland Vance and Michael Hyatt here as well. A lot of wisdom in there. As someone who is, I love to push back and be contrarian and think about other points <laughs> of view. I'm a voracious yeah. reader, have been my whole life. I've never once scheduled it. I've never once dreamed of scheduling it. Yeah. And it's so interesting when you look at productivity advice, which I'm always often wondering if I'm highly productive and just, you know, just on, off the reservation. I think you need to schedule what you don't like, <laughs> right? So I love reading so much. I have to schedule things to get, because you're interrupting my reading, really. Like that's, <laughs> that's the way I look at it. So all that advice you gave is apt and appropriate and perfectly suited. But for those listening who think, well, gosh, like if left to my own devices, I will sit all day and read. I'll read on the beach. I'll read everywhere. I don't feel like I need to schedule it. That's okay too. I think that every activity, it just depends on you and your personality and kind of your makeup. Some people never need to schedule gym workouts because it's going to happen. They love it so much. Other people think if I don't discipline myself to study or to become a better speaker, it will never happen. So understanding you, I think, is uh, extremely important. And we won't go into it here because it's a little technical, but I do want to mention in this great book, Jeff, Read to Lead, that you also have some speed reading techniques. So the number one excuse being time, and you can say, you know, well, I don't know if I want to cut out my favorite show. There's some great speed reading techniques in the book that I think will help you get into a better habit so that when you do have that time, you'll go faster. So I do want to mention that. I want to switch to something else for leaders. Turnover is a topic in this book. I mean, employee turnover. And you referenced that 4.6 years is the average turnover. And I think you said millennials is closer to three. And we're seeing, I think those numbers will be high because we're seeing now post-COVID, are we post-COVID or in COVID? I don't know where we are in COVID, but um, <laughs> depending on where we are, people are reassessing their lives there's a lot of change going on. One study shows that about a third of people in the U.S. that are currently employed are looking for another job or considering it. So turnover is just skyrocketing. 
why is it that that makes reading even more important? And what should leaders be thinking about when they're thinking about all this turnover? Yeah, the world is changing rapidly. And in order to keep up, uh, one of the ways uh, to keep up and keep up relatively inexpensively is through reading. And that's certainly been my experience. When it comes to turnover, I've heard people say, you know, I'm afraid to provide my employees with too much professional and personal development, because what if they improve, they, they get smarter, and then they go work for someone else? And I'm like, well, what's the alternative to not train them and they, and they stay? <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I think I'd rather put some effort into that and, and actually provide things like opportunities for personal and professional development. I think book clubs are a tremendous way to build camaraderie within a team. I think it's important too, though, not to force that on your people. I mentioned that uh, leader in my life years ago who didn't force that on me. He first allowed me to, quote, catch him reading. He would come to meetings and we would be tackling a particular issue. And he would say, you know, something along the lines of, you know, I was just reading this book the other day about this very thing. And the author talks about X, Y, and Z. I think that might be the answer to our problem. What do you guys think? And those kinds of interactions are going to invite people to adopt this habit rather than you just saying, hey, we're all going to read this book together. Now let's all come together once a week and, and jump in and do this. And everybody goes, oh, okay, we all got to do the same thing. And I have to be just as excited about it as everybody else and pretend. And maybe they're not. So let them catch you doing it. Provide opportunities for discussion around what you're learning to your team. And also consider what I call the Better Book Club, my friend Arnie Malham started a company called the Better Book Club a while back. And this is the type of book club among your team, and this would help with retention and, and I think building camaraderie and lessening the likelihood that people are leaving. Allow people to read whatever they want to read and incentivize that in some way with PTO or whatever it might be, whatever you want to reward. Maybe it's bonuses. Maybe every quarter it's a $100 gift card or something. Encourage your employees, reward your employees for reading that relates to their discipline, the industry, their personal development. And when they're doing that, let them know how much you appreciate they're doing that with a small reward. Maybe that's even a allowance for books. <laughs> you know, that you pay for the books as long as they're uh, books that you agree, you know, relate back to the job. And in that way, you've got your team, uh, your company reading and reading what's important to them for their discipline, for the industry, for their particular job or place in it. And not necessarily everybody having to read the same book at the same time. I think we sometimes are quick to kind of push that idea down the road without realizing that, you know, we need to kind of ease people into this. And that's a great way to do it. And I, again, to your question, I think it helps build a reading culture. It helps build camaraderie among the team. And now you've got everybody in meetings bringing what they've learned from the different books they've read to the nut you're trying to crack, so to speak. So much in there, Jeff. It expands everybody's thinking, strategy, everything, if we're all learning together and comparing notes and debating topics we've read in books. So powerful. And as the CEO of OCLC, which is the largest library cooperative in the world, I want to put a huge plug in for the world's libraries. But also, the company that we run, we have a library. And so we encourage Anybody, if you have a book that you want, we go get it in that library and you can check it out as long as you need it to encourage that learning and that culture. So every organization should look at ways that they can operate it. One of the other excuses people often make is, well, I don't have the money to buy that many books that you read. And 
there's a thing called the library. It's an amazing invention. <laughs> it is so powerful. It's everybody has access to it. People who think it's uh, physical are wrong. It's also digital. You can get audiobooks and digital books. It's an amazing invention that we have throughout the world. So I think libraries are important and also your personal library is important to build that up at home. And so you and your co-author who, I don't know if I can pronounce, is it Jesse Wisniewski? Is that right? That's right. Are proponents of building that success library at home as well. Yeah, It's something you can pass on to others. And it's always interesting. I have to ask this personal question, Jeff, because you're a reader, you do this podcast, you've now written this book. When you're visiting somebody's home, Jeff, admit it, right? Do you look at the bookshelf? Do you want to see what they're reading? I absolutely do. That's a great topic of conversation. I look for commonalities. I look for things they've read that I've also read, or at least things that are on their bookshelves that I've read just to, to initiate conversation. I also look and I, I just was thinking back to a time just a couple of months ago when I was at someone's house, and their library was not by any means extensive, but it included excuse me, a number of books that I had not read that they were huge proponents for. Don't ask me to name them now because I don't have the list in front of me. But I made a list of five or six from their small library that they were super passionate about, that it helped them tremendously in their career, none of which I'd read. And so I was writing each of them down as quickly as I could so that I could go back home and order those books and read them for myself. So yeah, I'm, uh, I do that whenever I go to someone's home, if they've got any sort of library, if they've got bookshelves, I can't help but look to see what they're doing. And compared to what I'm doing, not from a standpoint of how many books are they reading versus how many I'm reading, it's not a competition, right? It's just to compare you know, what they might be into that I haven't discovered yet and vice versa. It's a great topic of conversation. And it's one that I know a lot of my friends will ask me. You mentioned Michael Hyatt earlier. Whenever I sit down and have lunch with Michael, one of his first questions is, what are you reading? You know, And we compare notes on that. And then it's, what are you learning? And what do you take away from that? And I have found that the more you start to share that, you develop a group of friends who are passionate about, hey, you have to read this. You have to see this. Or I listen to this book for those who are more into listening to books. So I think that's incredible. You make one other distinction in here that I really liked, which was the difference between reading comprehension and reading retention, and that those are two very different things. A lot of people will appreciate your view of that. Would you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, reading comprehension, we're simply talking about, you know, did you understand what you read, right? Reading retention, that's whether or not you remembered what you read. And depending on the book, you might be wanting to get one or both of those things from it. Here's what I mean. You know, Michael Hyatt, who you just mentioned, uh, I had a conversation with him about this topic. And Michael's not reading books at this point in his life and career such that he's looking for, you know, these six things now to go out and do from having read that book. You know, there's not a to-do list when he finishes. Michael's reading for how it impacts his thinking. So he's, he's not reading for retention. He's just reading for how it impacts his thinking. Does this challenge his thinking? Does this jive with what he believes to be true about this particular discipline? I think when it comes to those two things, whether it's comprehension or retention, you didn't ask this specifically, but there are a couple of things that you can do that are going to help increase the likelihood of both of those things. I mentioned putting into practice what I was learning and then being asked to then share that with other people in presentations. Well, what that forced me to do 
when I was realized I was going to be in front of groups of people sharing what I had learned, that really forced me to synthesize it into you know its simplest form. When I take notes on books that I read, I'm taking notes such that I'm assuming that someone else later is going to look at this and need to make sense of it out of context because future me is someone else, right? So, so I think it's really important to understand how critical that is. So comprehension, do I understand it? Retention, can I recall it when I need it? Really good. And I, I think it, and you reference this, you know, there might be a, a spiritual book you're reading and you're reading it slower, other books you're reading quicker, some books you're reading to retain. You're reading a fiction book that you're just going on an adventure on. You might not need to retain all the knowledge of all the characters. Some people have this inherent ability my daughter, like reading The Lord of the Rings, she knows every character and every little detail. I'm just enjoying the story. We all have different kind of when we tune in and when we can tune out. And I think it's fascinating to see. Or for me, I don't know. I think David Baldacci is delighted with me as a buyer of his books. I interviewed him a few years ago because I'll be into page 10 going, wait, I read this already. But the publisher's clever and changed the cover and I bought it again. Um, because I may not have retained it to the degree that I would more of a business book. So it does depend. I want to switch to one last question, Jeff, which takes us out of the reading and into the writing, because it's your first book. And there are a lot of people listening who are in the publishing business or authors or aspiring authors, et cetera. You said earlier, the beginning that you were waiting to earn your stripes, you were waiting to have this experience before you wrote this. But I'm curious about that whole process of writing and writing with a co-writer, which is also a, yeah. a, a unique thing. Was it what you expected? Was it harder? Was it easier? What's your view of the writing process for you? Yeah, a couple of things about that. I did make attempts to write early in my podcast career and even before the podcast began. And I found myself oftentimes in a situation, Skip, where I would sit down with a literal blank page and go, okay, what do I write? <laughs> where do I start? But when you're reading consistently and with intention, uh, any good writer knows that good writing starts with reading, right? And so as I've taken better and better notes over the years with all of the books I've read, what happens is when you do that and you do what I said earlier, you write to future you, you write notes like you're writing to somebody else because future you is someone else. When you sit down to write then, the process is less a matter of starting with a blank page and more a matter of gathering your notes and going, okay, what do I have to say about the things that I've learned? What have I learned that then I want to share from my perspective? So it begins with those notes versus a blank page and takes a lot of the stress, I think, out of the writing process. I've had a couple of interviews recently where some two, two different people have said, why did you write with somebody else? I can't imagine with your first book making this process any harder. And I remember thinking, gosh, really? I, the reason I chose to do that is because I thought it would be easier. You're telling me what I just did was actually harder because <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't have anything to compare it to, right? I will say that, that I can't imagine, again, without anything to compare it to, obviously, but I can't imagine the writing process having been more smooth, the co-writing process having been more smooth than it was writing uh, with Jesse. He had his strengths, certainly, and I've got my strengths, and then we have some overlapping strengths. So we started by identifying what those are. You know, Jesse's strengths are in the speed reading area in particular. Mine are in the note-taking side and making an argument for why this is a habit you need to cultivate. That's the first third of the book right there. 
and then the building habits, building a reading habit process, and what that looks like. Jesse and I have some overlap there. So we identified those things. And once we identified those, we just oh, we basically said, oh, let's divide and conquer. You begin these chapters. I'll begin these chapters. And then we'll both tinker with the areas where we overlap. And then when we're done, we'll come together and see what each other have written and discern, determine how we can then co-release. So that was how the process began. When we came together, much of what I did with regard to Jesse's writing was adding a story or making suggestions for clarification, and he did the same for me. The hardest part was in combining the areas where we both had things to say, and that's where we had to you know, get out the red pen, and no, we don't have enough. You know, this is a, this is chapters turning into 6,000 words. We've got to cut some things, you know. So that was the hardest part is the things that we wrote about more as a duo versus the things where one of us wrote more than the other. And it just meant, you know, like I said, getting the pen out and having to do some cuts that were, and that includes a chapter that didn't end up in the book. There's a bonus chapter that's out there in the ether for anybody who pre-ordered the book, which I wrote most of, uh, but just didn't get done in time to make it in. So. Well, it's great. You described your writing process and the process for forming any good partnership, which is starting to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and areas of expertise, et cetera. I, I suppose if you didn't do that, it, it might have been a little bumpier. So, and having kind of the same voice, but that is, I see what people were telling you because they're saying, yeah, the writing is a process alone, but that collaboration is a process. So, fortunately, you both were simpatico and it, it worked out. And the result is a great book for everyone read to lead. And those two things are linked together. I have seen that over and over. So, thank you, Jeff, for sharing your wisdom from this book and from your many podcasts and your experience even before that. I think everyone will be interested to learn more and to really study why reading is so important. And I find it motivational. So if I read articles about why exercise is good for you, people say, well, don't you know that? Yes, but when I read that, it makes me feel better and makes me want to go do it. And I, I think that's part of the process for reading is even if you say, oh, it's good for you. Of course, it's good for you. We know that. Why do I want to read about it? Well, because if you do, it will build up that habit because the why becomes bigger for you and you might see things that you didn't see. So highly recommend people read this book. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and for joining us on Aim Higher. Well, thank you for having me, Skip. And to the point you just made, I would add that if you already know that reading is critical for success, this book is going to help you get more out of the books that you read. But if you aren't a reader yet, it's going to help explain why you should be and give you tips on how to jump into it uh, painlessly. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre. Always aim higher. <laughs>